This is Ray Houghton, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is Morgan Calton and we're recording a couple of hours after a second sickening last minute loss to a Manchester team in little over a week. So please excuse the expected despondent tone of the show. I'm joined by Sarge and Sam Diamond as we look back on what was a well-deserved point snatched away by an Argentine wonder kid whose tidy finish had Martin Tyler gushing over United even more so than usual. Ugh. Thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, although, right now, I think I'd probably prefer to be looking at my sorrows in a uh, bottle of vodka rather than uh, discussing what's happened. But uh, let's see if we can come up with something a little bit positive from it as well. Uh, Sarge, aside from uh, a little sort of lost voice, how are you feeling? A bit queasy? Yeah, a bit emotionally exhausted and drained after that. Um, we, we deserve so much more than what we got from it, um, which is a gut punch. But you know, it's another game against a, a big six team where we've we've actually genuinely competed. No one's rolled us over this season, and aside from obviously the Newcastle game where there was a red card early doors and that kind of threw everything up in the air, we we've competed with everyone we've played, and I think I don't know, maybe I'm still a bit too fresh from it, but I, I thought we deserved to win that game. I think it was very. I mean, it was incredibly even. I mean, the stats are basically identical. Um, looking at it, we had slightly more possession, but you know we both had fourteen attempts on goal, and we did. We just we took the game to them in a very different way to how we took on Man City last week. So obviously there was a you know there were tactics for Man City that regardless of the ten men we didn't change, but in this game you could tell that the the you know the uh, the idea was to go at them because they're there for the taking. Um, defensively and I think down that uh, left-hand side I can't remember his name let's have a look what his name was uh, Malasha Malacha whatever his name is the right back who was actually a left back was having a torrid time of it and I think it was it was an exciting game obviously a horrible ending but I mean Sam what, what are your thoughts at this point? Well I think you make a very good point in that it was a very different performance to to Manchester City away and it's very easy for people to draw comparisons between the two games especially in the aftermath we're still trying to to take it in a couple of hours later but yeah two different kinds of performance but both both performances worthy of praise both equally sickening um I must admit I, I felt like this was a game had we gone into it at full strength we we could have won. In fact, we could have won it quite comfortably. But with Mitrovic confirmed as being out this week and with the suspensions of Tete and Harrison Reed, I felt, OK, we'll settle for a point. So having gone into it with that frame of mind, I was really, really impressed with how we played throughout. And everyone saying we deserved the point, I actually felt like we deserved all three. 
Yeah, I think if, uh, you know, a point I would say from my point of view would have been a, a, a good result. I think it would have been a fair result, but we were going for it. And, you know, we had some really good uh, chances. I think we probably posed more of an attacking threat than United, but they were in a lot more control of the ball a lot of the time. I thought that first half, especially, I thought we were more, we created more dangerous opportunities, but at the same time, every time United got it, they looked like their counter-attacking was particularly dangerous. So you always had to be very wary of that. And obviously, as we found in the 94th minute, whatever it was, that's, uh, you know, that's their, uh, their strong point. But there were some exceptional performances out there today. And we'll get onto a few of them. But I think first off, uh, João Paulinho was man of the match. And uh, it was just another incredible performance. And I remember I saw something on Twitter. It's just like, you know, one of these random accounts was like, he's the everything you want in a holding midfielder. And he was just, he was just all over the place today as well. I mean, Sarge, you saw him, you know, in the flesh there. Was it as, I was watching on TV, but was it as incredible on, you know, at the cottage as it was, uh, you know, seeing him being analysed by Gary Neville and that one, uh, that lot, um, because he was getting so much praise for his performance. He was immense. I mean, it, it's it's weird when you're watching the game live, so you, you get caught ball watching and you're just sort of following the ball where it goes and you, you don't always pick up where players are. And it just felt like every time they tried to shift the ball from one side to the other, he was there. And not only was he there, he was absolutely smashing into people, taking the ball off them. It was unbelievable. It just there was one moment. <laughs> it was in the I think it was in the second half. I don't know who he tackled, but he absolutely smashed into someone. And he got up and he gave it a little fist pump like to himself after he'd made the <laughs> tackle. He like celebrated his tackle. And we were we were in the Johnny Hayes down. We were just loving it. it which it's like that is what you want to see. That is the passion. I mean, in a midfield where the opposition had Bruno Fernandez, Christian Eriksen, and Casemiro, who all in their own right and are recognised as top, top class players. He was the best player on the pitch. Uh, you know, amongst what we can consider to be great players, Casemiro's probably regarded as one of the best defensive midfielders in world football of the last decade. He was nowhere near Palina today in terms of the impact he had on the game. You know, Ericsson and Bruno Fernandes are great creative players. And we really, I felt we really limited Manchester United today. First half, I felt we had a, a good grasp of the game without creating anything clear-cut. We had a few half chances. And you're right, they were dangerous on the counter-attack when we kind of got caught with our bodies ahead of the ball. But second half, we snuffed we snuffed that out. I, I don't really remember them threatening second half. I think McTominay had a header at 1-1 um, that he put over the bar. But other than that, I don't really remember them doing anything until they scored. And a lot of that was down to Palina just, just shutting them off at any opportunity they had to counter-attack. The, I think Marco Silva would have looked at the first half, seen where they were finding spaces. And I think he's, he did a really good job of problem solving that for the second half because those spaces didn't exist second half. Um, uh, and we were able to attack and dominate the ball without leaving those gaps. I think uh, it was, uh, this week Silva was talking about how every game that Paulinho plays, he leave, you know is proper 100% regardless. You know, he's just been called up to the Portuguese team for the World Cup. And we were saying about this in the last part, are we, were we going to see some players not giving, you know, giving their all, knowing full well that they've got a very big tournament coming up? In this case, absolutely nothing of the sort. And that's just, I don't think that's in his, uh, you know, in his 
repertoire to not give less than 100%. And it's such a great attitude for a player to have, especially one in his position as well. So he definitely deserved man of the match. Uh, it's a shame that he you know, had to be on the losing side. I mean, Sam, aside from Paulinho, was there, who else stood out for you today? I thought Willian played very well again. Um, Pereira, I thought, had one of his best games for us against his former club. Uh, and, and again, I think Tim Ream deserves some praise for the way he played. But to be honest, I just want to talk about Paulinho as well, because... <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> he, you do it. He was just absolutely incredible. I, I, I watched the game at home, and I, I when I watch games on the television, it, it's very different to being there. Um, obviously, a lot less vocal. But there were a couple of tackles he made in that game where I was was up and, and shouting, and it, I, he's just been an absolutely incredible signing. Um, probably performances like that aren't going to do us many favours with the transfer window approaching because when it's a live game um, against a big club and he, he puts in a display like that, then suddenly everyone's talking about him. As you say, social media accounts are now talking about him. He gets man of the match on Sky. And immediately that chat has started. Well, you know, he deserves to be playing at a bigger club than Fulham. Let's, let's, I mean, hopefully he'll do more than six months at the club. Let's not, you know, we could be looking at a. Well, 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 he's uh, down for his contract six years. So if anyone wants to take him off our hands before before then, I've I've said it before, they can, they can fork out 150 million. Um, He's, he's that good. Uh, The, he made, uh, he won nine tackles today, which is the most by any player in the Premier League in any Premier League game this season. His 38 tackles this season, the next nearest, I think, is is Pascal Struik at Leeds with 30. Um, he, just, he just dominates games in that capacity. As Sarge said, up against Casemiro, who's, who's won it all and has just gone for 80 million and he absolutely dominated him. I think 38 tackles is more than we put in the whole of... Uh our last Premier League season, so that's a pretty good effort. Also, added bonus, he's now seven games without a yellow card. So I know, I was just looking at that and I was like, hang on a minute, he was his suspension, he must have sort of you know taken up Buddhism or something like that, and he's now sort of found himself, calmed himself down. Um but I mean it's amazing that he hasn't been booked considering each challenge that he puts in is oh, I have a theory on that. R- referees like start the season a bit a bit card happy don't they they like to try and sort of be like we're going to stamp down on this this season and it lasts for like five games and then they stop and then you start getting away with stuff again and I think that's pretty much what happened to Palina for five games he smashed into everyone got a yellow card every game I don't really think he's changed his game that much he didn't give away that many fouls I don't know if he gave he, away he got fouls, pulled so back for one at the, the, the end foul. of the first half that's what they and the referee was getting big, uh, booed off right. at, the, uh, at the half because of it yeah 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 he pulled him back and the referee waved play on and then about five seconds later he put in an absolutely brilliant tackle to win the ball and then the referee pulled it back for the earlier challenge which too long had gone on for that really to be the case but I mean that ref today was was it um, Tierney or someone? Was it Tierney? Paul Tierney. Yeah, Paul Tierney. I mean, the second half not so bad. The first half he was so pernickety. It was a uh, you know one of those classic refereeing performances when you just go, he's not going to give us anything. Uh, thankfully, he seemed to sort of chill out a bit in the second half, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could talk all night about Polinio and how good he is. You oh, know, hopefully, at the end and of he the nearly season, nearly won the game with an overhead kick as well, <laughs> just for a little bit God, of added gloss. Well. <laughs> I must have been turning away at that point. <laughs> um, 
But I think another player who needs a, a lot of credit from this game uh, was Tom Kearney, because it was his first start of the season. He's been a substitute appearance in every single game so far, stepped in for Harrison Reed, and he put in a cracking performance. You know, he's when he's come on, uh, come off the bench, he's shown his football intelligence. Um, and I think in this time around, we were sort of, oh, has he got the stamina to last the whole game? And he, you know, until he was somewhat questionably subbed for uh, Josh Onomer at the end, uh, he just put in a brilliant captain's performance. And I think it was a real credit to him that he was able to do it on that stage for a whole game, as opposed to just a little cameo. The first goal was his fault, though. Well, you're all right, don't be... He was no, he was he was already. he was good. He was he was good. He, he, he got tackled he, though, didn't he, on the halfway line? Yeah, and he he, he, yeah. he has the tendency sometimes to hold onto the ball a little bit too long, um, which is what happened for their goal. He, he he probably could have released it earlier, but yeah, he overall over over the what was it eighty eight minutes or whatever it was that he played eighty seven minutes that he played. 92. He was oh he get he made it to injury time. He um yep. he was yeah he was really good. Um, he offers a level of control that other players in our team can't provide and he does offer that calm. Um, I think in a team like ours where intensity is so important and, and everyone is 100 miles an hour a lot of the time, he does offer a nice change of pace when he gets on the ball um, and just just settles things down at times. Just it, it actually made us less, certainly in the second half, less vulnerable to those transitions because he just he just added that element of calm. He just made sure that the passes were safe when they needed to be safe as opposed to going for winning balls every single time. So, yeah, overall he was good, but he was fallible for the goal. Sam, are you going to have a go at him as well? <laughs> I'm glad Sarge said it because I, I was thinking it, but uh, I didn't want to be the bad guy. Um, I Actually, maybe with the goal, he's so used to sort of being used as this, this game changer coming on with half an hour to go when legs are... A, a little bit tired that maybe he just wasn't really prepared for sort of that that intensity from the United midfield and got caught in possession. But yeah, I would just echo everything Sarge has said there. Um, sometimes as well, Kenny he manages to you think he's he's got himself into an impossible situation and he manages to find a way out of it and then spray the ball across to the other side of the pitch and just open up the game again. And yeah, I, I hope we see more of him. Um, I was worried about. Would he be able to sort of replicate the defensive work of Harrison Reed? Um, but it was certainly there was no issues there really, apart from the goal. To be fair, and a tad balanced, he obviously set up our equaliser as well with a gut busting overlap. That at one point it looked like he, his legs were going to give out on him just before he got to the ball, but he got there and then he put a brilliant ball across the face of goal, which is what he's capable of as well. And we don't, we haven't seen a lot of that from Tom Kearney, like bursting into the box, arriving, going past his own players to get onto a pass. That's not something that, you know, has been common in his game, certainly in the last couple of years. I don't really remember him doing it since he scored at Wembley. Um, so to see him adding that into his game today and just providing that extra burst and, you know, it, it had a massive impact because it was the equaliser that we thought was going to get us a well-deserved point. So, to add balance yes he was culpable for their goal but he also was instrumental in our goal and I think you know, big congratulations to Dan James for getting his first goal and it's a shame it didn't lead to a point but I think he uh, he certainly has a lot of doubters at the moment and when he came onto the pitch 
can't imagine there was too much excitement around him. The thing is, he's he's one of these players that when we signed him, I thought he would be perfect for our tactics and how we play. I thought his speed would be a real uh, addition to this team. But he hasn't really done it so far. He's kind of looked very, very lightweight. And I think this time round, came on and he was just, you know, exactly where he needed to be, right place in the right time. And, you know, aside from that, I mean, Sarge, Sam... Which one of you wants to talk about him uh, and say what he did apart from score? I thought he was really good when he came on. He, 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 it's difficult, isn't it? Because he came, he came so late, and I think there's a trend. All the players that joined late in the window have struggled. So Palina obviously was signed early, went on the preseason tour. Pereira was signed early, went on the preseason tour. So th- those players that came in early on. Have, have settled and done really well. Like even William, to be fair, I know he signed late, but he was at the club training with the first team like for two, three weeks before he actually signed. So all the players that had that time to like bed in have done really well. And all the players that kind of arrived later in the window have struggled. Um, and he was one of the latest ones. So it, it kind of, it, it marries up that it would take him a while to sell. I thought when he came on saying he was really good. That may have been helped by the fact that I thought Harry Wilson, that he came on four, was actually quite poor. And so it boosted what what we saw from Dan James because he just got at them. And Luke Shaw was playing quite high up, which meant Dan James was basically allowed to run at Martinez. And there was one ball that went, it went behind Martinez and Dan James just ran after it. And he, Martinez had about a five-yard head start on him. And Dan James just closed that gap in an instant to the point where Martinez was at absolute panic stations basically tried to rugby tackle him to the ground. Dan James shrugged him off, got to the ball, and then like sort of checked back, tried to deliver one into the box. And it meant that then about five, ten minutes after that, Dan James got the ball, realised he was one-on-one with Martinez, again, gave Martinez a five-yard head start and just went, sod it, kicked the ball past him, and then just ran past him. Um, but that's his strength, isn't no, it? And his brilliant. speed is by far his strength. Yeah, definitely. And if he if he gets into that direct, direct play, it's going to be difficult to stop him. I thought he just looked a bit more confident in himself than I have seen him in in recent weeks and I wonder if that's just because he's now settling in knows what's expected of him knows where he's meant to be I also thought he looked a lot more effective down the right than when I've seen him play down the left okay that's I mean also I guess in the same uh, way as Pereira against his old team has a few doubters there to prove wrong and I think you're always going to get a sort of fairly strong performance when from a player if he's up against his old team but yeah, you're right. It's these players that came in late and didn't have a full preseason or, you know, a good chunk of preseason. And we've said this to a boo in the face and so have every other podcast and analyst when it comes to Fulham. We do our business late and we get, you know, we get done for it, essentially. And I think that's never going to change because of the way we go about what we do. So we are going to have to just deal with the fact that we are going to have players join late and then it takes them a while to sort of uh, get up to speed. But hopefully, if he can get a few games at the World Cup under his belt and then come back, have a couple of weeks, or or have about five days with the team, I think, before we actually get back into the the football. Wales Um, are coming home early though, aren't they? So you'll have have a fair few weeks. Yeah, Yeah, once he's, uh, you know, had a week over there, time to come home again. So... Yeah, I think hopefully we've got a little bit of time now for players to sort of have a little bit of a break, possibly, and then hopefully come back uh, 
all guns blazing. And we may even see uh, Man of Solomon at some point, which would be nice. Yeah, I think there was a um, a tweet from a uh, a journalist in Israel who said that Solomon was hoping to be available for the game on Boxing Day. Which would be good, because, well, hopefully he's actually sort of, um, maybe he'll play in that game against West Ham, um, just before Christmas. One of the dreaded behind-closed-doors friendlies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is it behind closed doors or can people no, go? It's not no, 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 yes, you, you can, you can you, go. Yeah, so you can go and watch him get injured. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, um, you know, obviously the big uh, Serbian-shaped elephant in the room was the fact that Mitro wasn't around again. We were fully aware that he wasn't going to be playing because apparently uh, the x-ray machines at Motspur Park don't work. And so we only just found out that he's got a broken foot. Uh, which is slightly that, disconcerting. That would certainly explain why uh, so many injured players have passed medicals with us in recent years. Oh, it's just, it's, what, I mean, how do you not know he's got a broken foot? Sure, I mean, one of the first things you would do, surely, would be to x-ray the bit that's hurting, especially on a foot where it's notoriously easy to break bones down there. So a little bit frustrating that, uh, you know, he's a played a number of games on that. Hopefully... It's not too serious. And, I mean, we all know it's hard as nails, so I'm sure it won't be taking too long to come back from it. But, again, we missed him so much. And Vinicius, I mean, you could tell he was trying. And a couple of times he looked uh, like he had a good chance. You know, he played, made some good movement. His pace was actually quite good, I thought, which I was slightly surprised about. Uh, but he just... He's just so unsharp at the moment, and I don't know if he's going to get to the point, you know, where he is even, you know, worthy of a place in the team at all, because we seem to be using him in the same way that we use Metro, but he offers nothing in terms of finishing, and it's a shame because I, you know, was hoping he would actually be a, you know, a worthwhile backup, but. What do we do come January? Hopefully, Mitra will be back. But yeah, yeah, I think so. um, well, the situation with Mitrovic is it. It would be great if, say, if this was a winter break and he had four or five weeks to recover from that injury. But let's face it, he's going to go and play three games for Serbia now. So there's not going to be that much, or at least three games, possibly more. Um, there's not going to be that recuperation. So we could well find ourselves in a similar position when the Premier League restarts. And yeah, in terms of Vinicius, I agree with much of what you say. Say tried hard today, but I mean, he, he only has 30 touches of the ball across the 90 minutes. And it's hard to really make an impression there. And I think the problem that we always have is how do we convince someone to come who is essentially going to be back up to Mitrovic? How can we get someone of that quality and tell them that you are going to be spending most of your time on the bench unless he's suspended or injured or it's the end of a game. Um, it's hard for a club, you know, of our stand, standing to do so. Um, yeah, it, it is tough. And someone like Vinicius was obviously willing to come knowing that his game time would be limited. But at the same time, he probably had a point to prove as well after his you know less than inspiring time at Spurs hadn't really played much game time uh, played many games at PSV of late and 
knowing, you know, there's always an opportunity if uh, someone gets injured. Mitro's obviously had injuries in the past. Probably thought, well, this could be an opportunity. Um, but he's not really taken it. And it's probably, it's, you know, no one's fault as such. He just hasn't played enough. And he's he's looking quite cumbersome, for want of a better word. But you can tell he's trying. But he was huffing and puffing through, you know, even in that first half. When he did, when he went on that run, you could tell afterwards that there was a there was a bit of heavy breathing going on there. So whether we continue with him uh, after the World Cup, or we take a look at one of the um, the young players from the uh, under twenty ones, which I always think is a bit risky because they're not you know they there's some great players in that team. We have one of them on the bench today, or two of them on the bench today, including Luke Harris. But I just I do worry about that. And that uh, you know the backup striker role, especially if Mitro comes back and he's still carrying a niggle. I mean, Sarge, how do you how would you solve this? It's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I I, I think for Vinicius it, it's tough for him because we're a completely different beast at home to what we are away from home. And and apart from the Newcastle game, which you know extenuating circumstances, he's only really led the line away from home. And that's a pretty thankless task, the way we've played away from home this season. We, he gets very isolated. We do sit in and, and we, don't, we don't commit that many bodies forward away from home because we're, you know, apart from Leeds and Forest away, we've, we have, that's the approach we've taken. Um, at home today, we've got a lot more bodies around him and look, he's not as good as Mitrovic. There's very few strikers that are and he is, we have to accept that he is effectively a backup. So, our expectations have to be tempered somewhat, but I thought he was—he served a purpose today. He was busy. He occupied defenders. He, he made their lives less than easy, if not entirely difficult. Um, but he, he allowed—he he allowed us to get the ball up the pitch just by occupying those centre backs and pushing them back onto the edge of their own box. And that might be the best we can expect from someone who's coming in as a backup, because like. You know, like Sam said, it's, it's difficult to get someone in that is going to sit on the bench for us. It, Tottenham have had this problem for years with Harry Kane. Um, and let's face it, Harry Kane gets injured a lot more often than Mitrovic does. Mitrovic is is incredibly robust generally. Like he, he plays most games every season, you know, apart from the Parker season when he was effectively dropped. He played every game of the Premier League season uh, the first time we went up in 18 19 um he he plays 40 plus games in each of the championship full seasons that he's been with us so he is incredibly robust he does get through things this is the first time really we're dealing with a a potential long-term Mitrovic injury and you know it's it's new ground for the club to try and navigate that because he has been a reliable backup and if, if he has missed a game it's been one at a time um I do have a fear that we're we're looking at potentially being without Mitrovic until like February March because he is going to go and play for Serbia and he'll take a you know cause and shot to get through a game and you know that's gonna that's gonna have there's gonna be a cost attached to that at the back end so I think we're gonna be the ones that might have to pay it you you can't begrudge him for it he, he's going to the World Cup to play for his country and he is he's, you know he's their leading scorer of all time he effectively got them there by scoring the goal against Portugal to put them there in the first place. You can't begrudge him, you know, putting everything on the line to go and experience that. But I, I do have a fear that we're going to come unstuck a bit. I think the only option we have to solve the, the issue is to have 
a player that can play a couple of positions. So someone that can play through the middle as a number nine, but can also play either off the striker or out wide. Should we get even Cavalero gonna... <laughs> That's the only way we're going to get anyone of any real quality um, in the door, I think. But even then, you, it's, it's slim pickings, isn't it? Who Who's out there that is available that isn't, you know, isn't going to be wanting to play every single game and is of the requisite calibre. It's, it's difficult. And even if we brought someone in, even just for the short term, for those hypothetical couple of months after the World Cup, we're going to be in the same position that you mentioned earlier in terms of needing the time to, to settle in with the squad and learn how we play. It's it's a really difficult situation that Silver and the club are in, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it's not... It's certainly not an easy fix. It's the, you know, aside from maybe goalkeeper, it's the hardest position to get a player of a certain quality for a decent price, um, knowing full well that, you know, once the star striker is fit, there's a good chance that you won't be playing as much. So it is going to be tough. Hopefully, Sarge, you're completely wrong when he comes back with a miraculously healed foot and there's no issues whatsoever. But I do have a feeling, you know, broken bones and feet aggravated by you know 90 minute of three 90 minute games and more if they get through uh we could be in a bit of a bit of a pickle come january or boxing day is, even is it definitely broken because marco silva said it on thursday that it's not broken well i think tristan pointed out that the actual article had been a serbian journalist and it may or may not have been totally reliable but I don't know is the answer to that. You would think for something to keep him out for a couple of games, a broken broken bone in the foot could be, you know, a fairly uh, simple explanation for it. But maybe it's not. Maybe the, cl- it's the club aren't really um, not really giving out too much information on it, which yeah. always worries me. Yeah, they're probably just waiting for him to get sort of checked over at the uh, by the Serbian doctors. And uh, go from there, but I don't know. It's uh, it is a yeah, it's a very tricky one, and I don't think we really know until after the World Cup how serious it is. Um, if he's not starting for Serbia in his games, then you know it's probably very serious. Um, so we we shall see. Hopefully, he's back for Crystal Palace on Boxing Day, but I wouldn't be sort of. Uh, Betting my house on it, put it that way. I think b- before we move on, because we could again, we'll we'll talk about January in a minute. Let's just touch on the uh, the winner uh, scored by Alejandro Ganacho. He kind of ghosted him, really, didn't he? And uh, left him, uh, Bobby Reed. I think looked particularly sort of um, uh, lackluster. That he looked like he didn't want to bring him down in case he gave away a penalty, but. It's one of those finishes by, you know, so-called wonder kid. I don't know don't know how good he is. I know he scored a couple recently. But, I mean, Sam, what did, what did you think about it in terms of, was there anyone to blame? Or do you think it was just a you know, well-placed pass and a very good finish? No, I think um, when goals like that go in that late in the game, it's always hard to take. It's hard to accept. And I think because it is hard to accept, we go looking for answers and for someone to blame and because we're also blinkered beyond our own team we, we just can't really credit the opposition 
Um, I've seen people calling out the substitution. I've seen people having a go at Josh Onoma for his 90-second cameo. <laughs> um, it didn't take long, did it? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just... And I don't really want to to, to dig out Bobby Deck or Dover Reed either because he's playing in a an unnatural position. Um, it, it was just absolutely sickening to see it happen, unfold in slow motion. Um, there was almost an, an inevitability about it. Um, yeah, I, I won't be watching it again to analyse it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I've, I watched it, you know, as it was happening. I haven't watched the replay yet just because I couldn't really stomach it. Um, Sarge, do you want to blame anyone? No, I've only, I've, I mean, fully, I've only seen one replay of it. So I, obviously I was at the ground and I was at the opposite end of the ground to where the goal went in. So it, it, at the, in the, in the moment, I, I didn't really, I couldn't really see what exactly happened. I saw the player one, two, he ends up three in the box and, and he scored. Um, I, I've seen the Josh Onema stuff as well. So Josh Onema, where he was that people are proposing that he fouls Luke Shaw was like directly in front of my eye line. If he fouls Luke Shaw there, the only way he actually manages to foul Luke Shaw is if he launches himself in the air and lunges into him with all of his body. Like that's, um, that's, and why didn't he do that? Is, is it, should know, have done I, it. Yeah, he should have done it. But like the pe- people are sort of saying, oh, he's Chalabar brought... would have done it. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <just> missed. <laughs> but people are sort of suggesting he's been brought on because he can make a foul and, and take a yellow card. Well, yeah, but he wasn't, he was never actually close enough to, to just sort of like trip him and give away a free kick like that. That wasn't really an option, um, so that I don't really understand where that's coming from. That's quite misguided. In terms of, yeah, I kind of agree with Sam. Like sometimes things just happen. Like we got caught out in a moment. Some people are saying we should have had more defenders on the pitch. We should have shut up shop. In that moment, it's not like we were like backs to the wall. We we'd actually been on the attack. It, it's just one of those things. It's like when Ronaldo did it to us. It what was it, two thousand seven? Something like that. It was very similar. Like, it, was it just down it just the same felt, side, and yeah, it just felt inevitable. Once they got the ball into a certain position, it's like, oh shit! Like you just felt it happening in those moments before it happened. And football's like that, isn't it? Sometimes it it just kicks you in the nuts, and twice that, that's just what that felt in the space like. Space of a week. <laughs> My nuts are tired of this kicking. <laughs> I just wanted us Get to win. New nuts in January. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it just it's it's these kind of results that you're going to look back on at the end of the season. Where if you look at two games where you've played Man U and Man City, you've lost both of them two one. It's not the worst looking thing in the world, but I don't think we're going to be in danger given our performances. But we are letting points slip, which is always dangerous for a team like us. And I think even though they are against two of the better teams in the league, okay, Man City probably, you know, arguably the best team in the league. Um, it's, well, Brentford dealt with that one, I guess. But it's it's not, it's by no means embarrassing. It's just so frustrating. And there's, go on. There, there's, there's, a, there's two ways to look at this. So the, the, the thing that I've seen is people saying, oh, we're, we're not taking enough points from the big six when we, we're, in, we're, we're being competitive with them, but we're not taking any points. It doesn't mean anything if we don't take any points. Brentford have shown that you can take points off of them. Yeah, but Brentford also got pumped by Aston Villa and drew with Nottingham Forest. And let's be honest, which games are really more important for us? It's far more important that we 
beat Forest and beat Villa and stop them getting any more points than it is beating Man United and Man City. Like, yeah, it is, it is devastating what's happened the last two weeks. Like, you leave the game absolutely on your ass and you're devastated by it. But ultimately, we're ninth in the league. We've got 19 points. We could have had more. But we've also won the games that mattered. Like, we've beaten the teams at home that we need to be beating, which is what we didn't do before. So we've beaten Brighton, we've beaten Villa, we've beaten Brentford. You know, we've got Southampton on New Year's Eve. I back us wholeheartedly to beat them. So we can talk about people sort of going, oh, you know, we're dropping these points against these big teams. We we dropped points late against Arsenal. We did it against City. We did it against United. Uh, we conceded against Liverpool and, and dropped two points there potentially. But we're winning the games that count. And for all of the, you know, Brentford's winning against City, they lost to Aston Villa. So, you know, it, it, I think actually the loss to Villa is more damaging than the win, a win over Man City is helpful, especially if it's on a weekend when the other teams pick up points as well. So, you know, we, we've still got games to play against these guys. We've still got, you know, Tottenham to come to the cottage. They don't look, you know, invincible by any means at the moment. We've got Chelsea to come to the cottage. They don't look invincible by any means at the moment. So, these games, they're not. We haven't run out of them. They're still going to be there. And no, you don't want to say anything's a free hit, but they are. Every time we pick up a point against one of these teams, it's a bonus point. The, the games we need to be winning are the games that we have been winning. And hopefully, you know, we go. As I said the next game that we play is in six weeks' time, Boxing Day, Crystal Palace away. That's a very difficult game, but again, that's a game we need to be getting a point from at the very least because they're one of the teams around us and the teams that will be challenging in our own little mini-league. See, you know, say Southampton, their appointment of uh, Nathan Jones, slightly questionable, I think. Um, doesn't really seem particularly ambitious, so they certainly don't put, you know, hold any fear. Uh, they, and I think just these games, you pick up two wins in the space of a few days and everything changes again. But... Post, I mean, this World Cup, obviously, everything's been said about it. It's just in the most awkward time. It's like, it's just such a pain in the ass inconvenience when it comes to the regular season. And so it's just going to be interesting to see how the, uh, the mentality changes uh, when we get back into uh, into league football again. Um, I, think, I think that's probably enough about this game. Unless either of you got any points you want to make about it? Just one thing, and again, because I had the misfortune to watch it on television rather than being at the ground, was Martin Tyler seemed to have three unnecessary digs about our support during the game. I know, that was was really weird. I just thought it was really weird. It's like, all right, Martin, Um, calm down. Just just state the facts, commentate on the game. Um, And he he was saying, oh, we're not as loud as Chelsea, and as if... You know, it's like going to a Boca Juniors game. There, it's yeah, absolute nonsense. It was, it was a bit of an odd one. Um, I mean, we all know that he's a got a, he's a bit of he's a bit fond of Manu, um, and it's just like, but it was a it was a really random thing for him to say. Like the the fact they were building up the Riverside stand to sort of try and make some more noise. It's like well, if you know anything about Fulham, you know that the Riverside stand is the quietest stand around. So. I was half expecting him to start having a go about the clappers and the neutral section. It was just yeah. those same. Same arguments from idiots. Taj? No, I, I, I think I, I agree with what you were saying about the World Cup being a weird uh, a weird factor. 
I do think the advantage we've got in that sense is that we've got a manager who absolutely will not stand for players coming back from that half-baked. Um, you know, he demands intensity from his team. So I, I'm not as worried as some might be about sort of returning from the World Cup break and players kind of being in a sort of halfway house of not knowing kind of where their intensity levels lie. I think he'll have everybody absolutely ready to fire once we turn up to Palace on Boxing Day. And I think that'll be a really interesting game. The way Palace set up, they Vieira has, has really put faith in those attacking players. Not a lot of managers of a, I mean this with no disrespect to Crystal Palace, a mid-table team. Not a lot of managers of a mid-table team would line up with Eze, Zaha, Elise and a centre-forward. Um, and so he, he really has gone with it for those flair players. I, I'd be really interested to see how we deal with them, but also how they deal with us and, and our intensity and our press. Because I, I don't know, I haven't watched a lot of Palace. I, I don't know how much um, those players are going to appreciate the press and I don't know how much they're going to want to track back and run towards their own goal. There was a moment today when it was Anthony Robinson down the left in the first half and he started to run and he was up against Bruno Fernandes and you just knew Bruno Fernandes was not going to tackle him um, and and Robinson just, just went past him. And I'll be interested to see how Palace deal with us when we turn up there and, and you know, get at them a bit. Um, I think Marco Silva will make sure that the first day back of training that everyone has, they know that there is, you know, there's going to be no acceptance of anything less than what we've seen so far in these first 15 games. Well, on that point, we're now at the end of the first half of the season, maybe not halfway games as such, but, you know, now we're going to this break. I think we're fair to say that, you know, university, we're pretty happy with where we are after this first chunk of the season. Let's go, you know, keep it short and sweet. Sam, out of 10, what would you give it so far? Eight. Um, yeah, more than happy with, with how it's gone. Um, yeah, you can look at the table and say, well, we're only six points above Nottingham Forest in a relegation zone, but I think we'd have to go on a sort of a real steady run of, of losing games to, to find ourselves back in the mix. And I just don't see this Fulham team doing that. And um, we've got too much, too much about them, and uh, yeah, these back-to-back defeats have been hard to take. But we're a good side, and after the two previous attempts at this level, I think we're going to show that we deserve to be here. Sarge, out of ten, what's what? What would would ten be like? We're top of the league. I don't know. I've just thought a bit on my. On my <laughs> <cinema>. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to get context because, like. I don't. I don't think we could have expected much teacher, more mate. than what we. I oh, know. Sorry. <laughs> think about things way too much. What's the maths in this? No. Um, I don't know how much more we could expect. I, I'm. I'm. I'm tempted to go with a nine, just because we're in the top half of the table. Like if, if the season finished now, everyone would be buzzing. Like mm-hmm. a ninth place finish would be fantastic. So, yeah, I wouldn't say a ten because a ten would probably mean that we we would have maybe held on to some of these points that we've dropped against the big six teams. Um, where we've put ourselves in a position to take points and we haven't quite seen it through. But everything other than that, I think, has been pretty much spot on. Bar the Newcastle game, I don't think I've walked away from any game thinking that was crap. Uh, you know, I've got walked away from games and been, ah, oh, that was frustrating. Oh, we might have done a bit better there. Um, 
but apart from the Newcastle game, I, I, I don't think I don't think anything's gone catastrophically wrong at all. And for the most part, it's been very good. So I'd, I'd give us a nine. Yeah, sounds fine. Yeah, sounds about fair. I would go, I'd go with the I'd go with an eight. I reckon. I think you know you're looking at sort of there there have been a few points dropped. I think even sort of games where we've you know drawn like the Wolves game and even the Everton game uh, where I just thought we you know we really should have won that and potentially those sort of games can bite you in the ass as the season goes on. But I mean, I think we've been brilliant. We've done you know so much more in this first fifteen games than we have done in either of the previous two seasons. And I think, you know, we've got a team that we can be very proud of. I think there are some some of the players that have come in have done exceptionally well. And I think some of them, you know, they are sort of starting to build up. And I hopefully when we sort of get back for, you know, Christmas and onwards, then they will start sort of, you know, stamping their authority on the game um, even more so. And I think, you know, we can be fairly confident as long as we don't have too many more injuries and suspensions along the way that we will have, uh, you know, a good second half of the season. We just got to hope that the players who, you know, have been so impressive so far. I'm looking at, you know, Pereira, Polina, you know, well, Mitro, obviously, if he comes back. And, you know, Reem as well. Hopefully he'll keep it up but they need to be able to last the whole season. And for some of these players, Pereira maybe as well, um, who's not going to the World Cup, uh, it's you know, a good opportunity to get a bit of rest that you know, players are n- never afforded within a league season. So this could be, it could be a good time for them to ch- uh, recharge their batteries and hopefully you know, mentally get back into it, know that we're getting, you know, it's not even the business end of the season yet, it's just, you know, over that first hurdle. So um, I guess, you know, one other thing to look at. Uh, Sarge, starting with you, who who have been your top three players of the season so far? Uh, Mitrovic for his goals, Palina for his dominance, and Tim Ream for his resurrection. That's fair enough. I think, I, I think Ream is... I mean, it's just... God knows what he's been putting in his coffee in the mornings. But, I mean, that guy is just... He's proved everyone wrong. He's probably proven, you know, a lot of his teammates wrong as well. I mean, sure, he's got Garner's a great deal of respect. But, you know, who would have thought that he would have been able to come into this season and hold down his starting spot there when clearly we brought in a defender, you know, probably to partner Tosin as opposed to him. So, yeah. I think the key... I think the key thing is that he he's not being asked to like emergency defend like he was before. So we're not we're not asking him to do the things that he's not as strong at, which is essentially go one on one with someone running at him and having to, you know, dive in to stop shots. Like he's he's defending play in front of him rather than play in behind him. Um and that's because the team as a whole is defending better. We defend higher up the pitch. We're not we're not giving those chances away. And I, I remember saying this before. No, it was after when we got beat by Villa um, in the Scott Parker season at Craven Cottage, where we still hadn't signed any defenders, and we looked. You know, I think the bookie started paying out on us going down after that game. And um, I said at the time, new defenders 
won't fix this problem because the way we were playing as a team and the way we were set up as a team was so bad. We every def- every defender was having to emergency defend. Every defender was having to fling themselves in front of shots within their own penalty area to pro- try and stop something happening because we weren't cutting anything out ahead of that. Um, it wasn't until Parker went to a back three that anything started to look halfway solid. So that's kind of improving because Tim Ream is is I, 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 he has improved. I don't want to say he hasn't improved, but I don't think he's dramatically different to the player that he was two years ago the difference is is that he's not being asked to do the things that he's not so great at and he's been he's been put in a position to do the things that he is very good at which is anticipate play stop stop play you know 10 yards outside of his penalty area rather than having to emergency defend in his penalty area um but he's been he's been fantastic you can't overlook it and he's he's got his world cup call up which is richly deserved if you're playing to the level that he is in the Premier League, I mean, I, I don't know who USA's starting centre backs are, but for me, don't think it really matters. You know, yeah. he, he, <laughs> he's not he's not been in the squad, so I can't imagine he's going to start for them in in their group games at this point. But who who's better than him? Who's playing at a higher level than him against opposition like he is at the moment? I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, and I'm I'm grossly uneducated on US defences, but. Producer Don is shaking his head and saying that no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I've- the other thing, the other thing about Reem as well is he's so important to how we attack. Like it sounds mm. ridiculous to say that, but like him bringing the ball out of defence and opening up space is is the starting point for many of our best moves. There was a case in point against Manchester United. I think he, he had it on the byline just outside his own penalty area had nowhere to go managed to get past the player brought it out and within five seconds we were down the other end forcing a chance and yeah I don't know if that Guardiola quote from last week of doing the rounds is true or not but I imagine it might be bollocks (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to choose to believe it I mean Um, I liked it but yeah (laughs) Guardiola once went up to uh, this is going to be a really poor taste I'm sorry Guardiola once went up to Harry Arter though after a game didn't he and Harry Arter had had a, a horrendous family incident but um, and was really bigging up Harry Arter so I don't think we can we can rely on Pep Guardiola's assertions of opposition players <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> Just right, his maybe, own maybe, maybe Guardiola and Scott Parker were right and Harry Arter was better than Matt O'Reilly all the time yeah Sam, mm. <laughs> uh, uh, do your uh, would your top three differ at all? I don't think they would. I'd, again, I would give shout outs to Harrison Reed and I mean Anthony Robinson just for a sort of similar resurrection because he was often much maligned in the promotion season. But as I said previously, since the the card trick, there's been no fault in him. He's been he's been absolutely brilliant. <laughs> No, I, th- I think he's done it really, really well this season. Um, he's proven himself to be a better left back in the Premier League than he is in the Championship, which maybe that's his development or maybe he's just more suited to the style of football. But he's done incredibly well. I think uh, Pereira deserves a mention as well. I mean, obviously he came in with the the absolutely unfortunate tag of pre-season Pirlo and he's shown that, you know, so far he can do it. And I think it's, uh, you know, his, he's had his head on uh, and... He's 
when he when he was about to join and there was a the whole thing about him wanting to stay in Brazil and play there and just think, oh God, is he going to be in the right mindset to play for us when he doesn't really want to be here? But you would never know that, you know, anything like that had been said or if, even, even if it was said at all. But he's, uh, I think he's done a brilliant job and I think our set pieces are just, you know, so much more dangerous now. And we've got uh, you know, a lot of goals from corners and maybe free kicks coming. Um, but we just it just adds another element to it. And again, he's one of those players that I'm slightly concerned that he would have a good first half of the season, then maybe go off the boil a bit when it gets, you know, really fucking cold in January and February time. But I'm going to be optimistic and say that, you know, we just have a very good player on our hands. And I know that Man U didn't particularly want to get rid of him for a while because they always thought that he might come good. But I think now we're starting to see that there is a very good player in there. And hopefully he'll carry on the season um, you know, proving as useful as he has done already. And, you know, I think he's just a great compliment to a, what's got to be said, a pretty well-balanced team for a team who's come up and, you know, how we've been all over the place the last couple of Premier League um, seasons to have the team that we do at the moment. I mean, if we didn't have the injuries, then I think, you know, we'd be in a lot better shape. And, you know, again, in terms of players that didn't think that we're going to do much, Willian, I think he's been remarkable. Uh, he he might be 34, doesn't act like it or doesn't play like it. His football intelligence is incredible. And I think the fact that when he came in, I thought, well, is he going to be a 20-minute super sub every other game? But no, he's coming on playing full 90-minute games and he's looking, you know, incredibly fresh as well. So well played to him. Um, I was going to have a talk about January, but I think we'll we'll leave that. Uh, for close to the window. Uh, do either of you guys have any other thoughts on how the first half of the season's gone? You Are you looking forward to this World Cup? The excitement around it is absolutely minimal at the moment. Uh, obviously, it's got its, yeah, it's, got its uh, issues around it. And I just don't know. I just If England go out in the group stage, I don't think anyone's going to cry, cry about it this time around. It's like, you know how depressing the international breaks are in the, in the season? Where you know the weekend comes around, you're just like, oh, it's England Andorra uh, instead, and it's it's kind of like just a prolonged international break now. It's very hard to to get excited about. Um, hopefully, the the involvement of some Fulham players may change that. But because you're not going, you're not going to be going to beer gardens, are you? Seven o'clock on a December evening. Well, you might do. I live in Scotland, Scotland, so probably will be. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you're you're a bit harder up there, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, Sarge, I mean, have you, are you interested at all? I mean, as a football fan, probably interested, but it doesn't have the same buzz as any previous World Cup, as far as I can think. Yeah, the other problem for me is, is I'm a, as a teacher, I'm normally like winding down for the academic year when an international tournament starts. So I don't really have to worry about anything else. It can take my full attention. Whereas now I'm going to be like in the thick of exam preparation. And so I'm kind of like, oh, this as well. I don't know. I'm just a bit, I'm not really not as interested in it as I should be probably considering that, you know, not only am I a football fan, but I am a teacher of sport and PE. But it just, it just feels wrong. I don't know. I hate international breaks. I think Sam hit the nail on the head. It does just feel like an extended, inconvenient international break. Um, I'm more worried about 
Mitrovic coming back fit than I am about England winning a trophy at this point. I'm just, yeah, it doesn't feel right. I, I, I don't like it and I will watch it and I may get swept up in it all if England get through to the this quarterfinals or semifinals and start singing it's coming home. But at this point, <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not overly enamoured with the whole idea of it, to be honest. And it's going, it's going to be weird as well. There aren't that many uh, England and Wales fans going over. I know I was reading or listening to something, a guy being interviewed the other day, they'd been, was it like the supporters band or something? Like the Qataris had offered to pay for them to go over and play, you know, you know, all expenses paid trip. And they would just need to play certain songs at particular times to try and sort of like, you know, support the, uh, you know, support the World Cup as it were, because... What, the England band? The England band and like, the Wel- the Welsh fans as well. I think there were like about 50 of oh. them or something like that that would have been offered this chance. And that that might be the straw that finally makes me boycott the World oh, Cup. I mean, I mean, I, I was I was edgy on the human rights stuff, but I mean, yeah, that's totally an issue. That trumpet player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's I, one one guy said that he'd been offered it and he turned it down, but he knew one person who'd certainly taken it. Which I mean, you offered a free trip to a World Cup. I mean, you might sort of think about it from a uh, ethical point of view, but at the same time, you want to go and watch the football. But there's only going to be like four or 5,000 England fans out there. I think pretty much the same the Welsh. And we've sold one of the highest numbers of tickets. You know, this is, it's, they're going to go and be staying in their little, um, those uh, oil, those uh, shipping containers in the desert and go and pay 15 quid for a beer in a, you know, one of these fan parks where you are slightly less likely to, um, you know, get arrested for drinking. I was probably going to say something a little bit more on PC then, but I'll uh, save that for another show. But <laughs> anyway, it's a World Cup. It might get exciting at some point. But the main thing is that Fulham have gone into the Christmas break, albeit six weeks earlier than usual, in the top half of the table. We've done incredibly well. Yes, the result today was shit and it made me sick. And I hope that Garnacho tripped over on the way home or something i don't know it's it's it is a shame but thank you for listening enjoy the uh the prolonged international break uh follow us on twitter underscore uh, at fulham underscore focus find us on facebook instagram all those things and yep we'll look forward to welcoming you back once the uh the proper football starts again thanks very much